Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. parents, sisters. I had a happy childhood. But like everybody else, I took that for granted. When I was nine years old, I went to a friend's house for a sleepover for the weekend. When her mom took me back home, there were cop cars everywhere. My friend's mom told me my family was murdered. My name is Jamie Collins, and Jesse is my cousin. On the day of our family's funeral, I found myself seated in a little white church in Lakeville, Indiana. It was on our family's darkest day. They were all gone, and here I was, alone. Death seemed like it, it would be a way out of all the suffering. I would spend the next 29 years fighting, crawling, and clawing my way out of the darkness. When I first sat down to write this story, I had no way to know what would ultimately transpire. I was the first person that Jessie had ever told her story to. Every time I thought I found the bottom layer of trauma, there was always more. I'll never be able to escape it. Jessie was only nine years old, and this trauma would linger over her for the rest of her life. I felt like I was trapped in an emotional prison. We wrote this book to give Jessie a voice. We wrote this to help other people out of the darkness. This is a story of hope, and survival of the human spirit. It is a story of a broken little girl and a resilient woman that she would become. After 29 years, it was finally time for her story to be told. Each of us has a different story to tell. My name is Jessie, and this story is about me. Welcome to Crime Curious, I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And welcome to a very special episode where we will be interviewing Jessie and Jamie, the author of her book, I Am Jessica. That was the book trailer that we just played for you, and we cannot wait to introduce you. You've spoke, you've heard from Jamie before with the I Am Abigail interview that we did, and this time you get to hear from Jamie again and meet Jessica. We're very excited for this special episode. Let's shake our green green and our toes in the toad. 
the newest Grigri that was added. If you're a paying subscriber, you know exactly what we're talking about. Unfortunately for you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, all right. Well, we hope that you all enjoy this very special episode. Welcome, Jesse and Jamie, to Crime Curious Podcast. As you know, I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. How are you ladies today? Fantastic. Wonderful. Doing really good. Wonderful. If you, Jamie, if you would like to introduce yourself and how you know Jesse. <laughs> sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I am a mom. I have a 17-year-old son. I'm a wife. I work as a litigation paralegal by day, and then at night I write books. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of became a thing. And so I've written two books. Um, the first one was I Am Abigail, about Abigail Alvarado, who is a survivor. And then my first book, um, which is very near and dear to me, is the one we're here to talk about today. And that is called I Am Jessica. And that book tells my cousin's um, story of tragedy. And her name is Jessie. So I will turn it over to her. All right. Hi, Jessie. Okay. So I'm Jessie Taranjo. Um, I'm Jamie's cousin. And I... Well, I used to work in childcare um, because of health issues. I don't anymore. So I am actually a stay-at-home mom to two doggies. Um, my children are grown, so you know I don't stay home with them anymore. But um, you probably would, though, yeah. right? They just don't want you there oh. anymore because they're adults. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but um, yeah. Wonderful. We are so happy to have you on. Jesse, most of us have read uh, your books. At least there's a lot of us that Mm -hmm. have. Um, Can you, I'm sorry, Jamie, your books. Jesse, can you tell us a little bit, I'm interested about like your first, your earliest childhood memories, like the first things that you remember, either good or bad. Um, My first uh, childhood memories are actually my dad. Um, I remember going hunting, fishing. Uh, my biggest memory that I remember is going to Big Boy with him. That is and a Michigan do, thing. It is. Yes, it is. <laughs> I remember getting uh, Belgian waffles with whipped cream and cherries on it. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's really my first memories that I remember. All right. And you were living in Michigan at that point in time, obviously. Um, actually, no, were you in that was Ohio, okay. Toledo. Yep. All right. They still have big boys there. After that, I feel like it turns into something else like Shoney's or something. The farther south you get. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it morphs. Like that. Mm-hmm. But we know at heart, yeah. it's really a big boy. <laughs> so, well, actually, it might have been Michigan. I don't know. My, it could have been because we moved around a lot. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So tell me about that. How was it that you were moving about? Um, well, cause I was born in Adrian, Michigan and oh then my sister. Do you have any idea yeah. how close that is to us? <laughs> 30 minutes. No, no. <laughs> that is insane. The connections that we have, have discovered through me talking to Jamie and all of, and reading your book of like, oh my goodness, how did I not know about this? No wonder why we were drawn to one another. So you're yeah, born in Adrian. Crazy. Yeah, I was born in Adrian. And then a year later we moved to Blissfield. That's where my oh. sister Janelle was born. Okay. Yep. And then we moved to Toledo after that. And that's where Jolene was born. And then we lived there until I was five. And then that's where my dad passed away. And then my mom met Bob. And then we moved to Florida. And then we moved to Indiana. Mm -hmm. And then that's when the murder happened. And then I moved to Michigan. Okay. Okay. So you have had two younger sisters. You're the oldest. Yeah, yep, I'm the oldest. How far apart were you guys in age? Okay, so it's 
me and then Janelle, we were like 14 months apart. Mm-hmm. And then Jolene, there were three years between us. Okay. That sounds a lot like how I had my three of my boys, like almost oh, exactly. Geez, yeah. mm-hmm. Yes. And how are how are you and Jamie related? Um, our my dad is her. Wait, hang on. I <laughs> suck at this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so her mom and my dad are siblings. Okay. That way. <laughs> and this was a big family, right? Didn't your dad yeah. have seven sisters? Yes, he did. Poor guy. I was just going to say, bless his heart. Okay. And so Jamie's mom is one of those seven sisters. Yes. Okay. She was the eldest of the group. How many cousins do y'all have in total? Do you even know? I've never Uh, really counted, but it's it's like over, I'm guessing like a dozen-ish. I mean, it's like a lot. (laughs) Yeah, at least, at least. Oh, I bet. And do you guys remember, like as children, did you guys do things together? Well, we had get-togethers, but it wasn't, like, all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I remember – go ahead. Sorry, Jess. No, I was going to say it's, it's kind of interesting because we both were basically related through my mom, her dad's side. But then she ends up with her mom, and I end up with my dad. So we both kind of get a step removed from that side of the oh, family to some extent. Yeah, Not that we, like, really are, but just, like, you go to every gathering, probably not. Are nope. you there for the dinners and stuff? Probably not. So it became, like, we would see each other, but very infrequently. And it's not like we were close or knew one another growing up that much. But we knew who each other were and that had been around That makes total sense. Some. Yeah, that makes complete sense. <laughs> I could see how that could that would happen. Okay. Plus, yep. Jesse's moving around. I mean, I'm sure the the move to Florida that happens yeah. when you are about six, right? Yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, that that distance back in, we're talking back in the 80s. Um, yep. You know, that, that doesn't help the situation with staying no. close to familial ties, for sure. No, uh, it doesn't. So and my dad and I moved to Indiana, so it's like he would take mm. me up there in the summers to see my mom. But aside from that, I really wasn't up there. So if it was the summer when Jessie was there, I would see her. Most of the time, she wasn't around when I was there for a month. I see. So we just missed each other a lot. Okay. Right? Okay. Yep. So you know, I do remember going to her graduation. I okay. do remember that. Okay. So. And because your dad's mother lived in Midland, Michigan, right? She did. Well, she lived in... Uh, Oil City, which is outside of Midland. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and then she, she moved to Saginaw after that. Oh, okay. Got you. Yeah. Okay. So, Jesse, when um, you would have been how old when your dad passed away? Were you like five? Yep. I was five. Um, going to turn six in June. And what do you remember from that about what had happened? Um, I remember finding him. Oh gosh! Okay, I so didn't there we have that. we have. It, would you would that be fair to say this was like the first major trauma as a child that you'd experienced? Oh yeah, yep. Um, I didn't know he was dead. Mm-hmm. I thought he was sleeping. Sure. So, you know, I it was winter. Um, he used to work on his truck all the time. Um, so I we went to church. We came back. I went out there. He was sitting in a chair that I remember. Mm-hmm. Um and I thought he was sleeping. So I went inside, got my mom and, you know, she came back in freaking out, telling me to get my sisters upstairs. And I did. And that's basically what I remember. 
Yeah, so. and the interesting the interesting part of this. So if you read like the report, um, my uncle Eddie, her dad was found beneath the car. Right. But I fully believe that Jesse, in her memory and just maybe in her dreams about it, she was home when Dawn found him for sure, and she was told to take her sisters and go upstairs. So I think it's like her mind has pieced it together that way, if that makes sense. Okay. It does. It does. Yeah. Because I was going to say, oh, that was different from what I remembered, but I thought maybe my memory just wasn't remembering from the book Uh, because it's been a few Mm -hmm. weeks now since I read it. So, okay. Okay. Was there anything suspicious about those circumstances or concerning? Not really. Um, He, like, he worked on cars all the time and what the family believes happened is just, I think he didn't realize that there wasn't enough ventilation in there. Yeah. Um, and I think it just, it overcame him because it's something he did all the time. And I don't think he never would have done anything like that, knowing that Dawn and the girls were going to come home. Like, I think it truly mm-hmm. was a freak accident. Absolutely. Yeah. So car- carbon monoxide poisoning. We, we hear right. all the time, especially this time of year, those of us that live in cold weather about, you know, keeping our garage door shut, don't start your car in the garage yeah. type of thing. And it was truly just an accident. Yep. So after your um, dad passed away, how did, how did things go in the family? How were things with your mom? Um, well, she uh, was seeing Bob and it was a whirlwind. How'd she um, even I meet really him? Didn't- uh, through his cousin, she lived in Toledo, and they were friends. And she met him through her. Okay. So, uh, yeah, because he um, lived in Florida at that yeah. time, right? Okay, yeah. Yep. Um, and within what eight months, they were married. Yeah. Yeah, and that's... to back up a little bit, Bob had lost his wife to mm-hmm. cancer, mm-hmm. and then Dawn had lost her husband, obviously, to this carbon monoxide accident. Um, but it was very quick. I mean, even as just a part of the family, it was like, it seemed like six months later, it was all like full swing. And we were like, who's this guy? Like, it was just, it did feel kind of out of nowhere to us. But I think they had socially been around one another or would have like gatherings and they would kind of be around one another. So they probably talked more than we realized like earlier on. Sure. But still, you know, we, with our, um, our Patreon exclusive episode that we covered, um, you know, part of the this story. When we got to this part, I really talked about how, yes, you know, maybe they did know each other and whatnot, but you know, there's that trauma bonding that happens and just that the mm-hmm. coping skills that happen. And it felt like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jamie, but you did a beautiful job with your words. For anybody who hasn't read any of Jamie's work, um, she's a phenomenal author but just the way that you wrote it it you did touch on you know this in itself and the the quickness no judgment whatsoever on um, Bob or Dawn but it it did feel like they kind of used each other for coping skills but then the kids which was very traditional back in the 80s were kind of left to just cope on their own and to just um kind of get on board with like, this is what we're doing now. Here's our new family. This, Yep. This is our new family and you guys just need to adjust to it. And you know, there was that old, Oh, kids are very resilient and uh, stigma around like not stigma, but that's the wrong word. Sorry. I have not had enough coffee today. We were. Yeah. That too. Oh, it's afternoon. Yes. It's yes. acceptable to drink. It, it is. Accept- and it's God's day. He drank wine too. It's right. fine. <laughs> I already had a glass. 
So perfect. <laughs> perfect. Loosen up. <laughs> oh shoot. But well, but truly, kids aren't you know allowed. Like they weren't allowed. It felt like Jesse, like you and your sisters weren't allowed to grieve before just being thrown no. into this new family atmosphere. And no, I, I do think be. we do things differently today. But oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, yeah, and I think too with her mom. I mean, it's like we're all here sitting here today being who we are. But this was a different time and place. Like Agreed. absolutely, women were not out in droves in the work field they didn't really own homes Mm-mm. it was like a different time and place so mm-hmm. for dawn now to be left with three little girls to raise and like not a career and not really anything it's like i get how that would have become an appealing situation with bob if he was seemed to be a nice man me too 100 we did speak about that because mm-hmm. my opinion was um again how the climate was for women in the 80s the thought of being a single mom raising kids and trying to support them without probably any type of degree or anything like that at the time you know you get used to being the either a stay-at-home mom or just working for enough income to bring in supplemental to the family and so now here she was and I you know sometimes it's a survival decision well that too and the psychology was different back then like people weren't going to see therapists and it wasn't as mainstream as it is now so I think it's like you just made a choice and did what you felt was best Mm -hmm. and that had pros and cons no matter what you did and that's just how it went Mm -hmm. so so when you got moved to Florida because they whirlwind they're married within eight months and all of a sudden you and your sisters find yourself in Florida can you tell me a little bit about how that felt and what that looked like with your siblings and with your new siblings back then I was really pissed off Mm -hmm. that my dad had just died um and here I have two new siblings you know a new house so nothing was familiar a brand new state So yeah, I was not happy. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want a new father figure. I didn't want new siblings. So yeah, I was actually quite pissed off. You know, I didn't want any of it. None of it. Tell me about your new siblings, or at least what your impression was when you first met them. Okay, well, you know, Jeff, I thought he was really tall and skinny and, you know, had big hair. You're right. (laughs) Um, 80s hair. 80s. (laughs) Yep, the 80s hair. Um, Jackie, I, I thought she was beautiful. You know, she had the, the longish hair, not, not super long, but curly, um, just the 80s style back then. It just, it was really pretty. And, you know, I thought she was nice, quiet. How old um, are they? uh, oh God. Okay. Hang on. So <laughs> I was I'm making you six, do math. I know. And I hate, I hate it. math. Oh, good. Jeff Thank was you, Jamie. eight years older than Jesse, and Jackie was five years older. So at the time that Jesse was nine, Jeff would have been 17, and Jackie would have been 14. Thank okay. <clears throat> yeah, so a little older, a little bit in different areas of their stages of their life, for sure, when you guys became a blended family. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And for sure. Jesse, I didn't really talk about this um, for our Patreons, but uh, what I enjoyed that Jamie had put in some very specific examples of how, in my opinion, the way that Jeff treated you in the the calculated way that he did it when adults weren't around really to me showed the darkness that lived within and you seemed to be the only one that could see it and truly like pulled, you seemed, there was something about you that pulled it out of him and he, he acted upon that. Could you just kind of tell the audience a little bit of what it was like to live with him from your perspective? Um, it was, it was really scary. Um, I think he pinpointed me because I was the oldest. 
mm-hmm. and I acted out myself. Sure. You know, so I think he just knew because he was older and could express himself better mm-hmm. that, you know, he could get away with doing stuff and tell them, well, look, she's acting out. You're not going to believe her, you know, manipulate so, but yeah, to the, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the stuff he did, you know, like chasing me through picker fields and locking me outside naked and, you know, just stuff that. Cruel, not, cruel things. Yeah, it's cruel. Like people are like, no, that's sibling stuff. No, that's no, not. That no. is not sibling stuff. Mm-mm. Is that how you the know? parents were handling at that point? Your mom and your new stepdad was that this is just sibling rivalry? Oh, they didn't believe me. Okay. Yeah, they didn't know about the big incidents or she would say it, but they wouldn't believe it. Like, oh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't pretend to throw a blow dryer in the bathtub. That's ridiculous. Like, it was just like she was dismissed a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I was making it up, you know, stuff like that. So, you it, mentioned, it, it was very, go ahead. I would say you mentioned you were acting out, Jamie, or I'm sorry, Jesse. What, uh, what were you doing specifically? Do you remember? I, not really. Just, I was just pissed off. So, like, I guess just being defiant, yeah. you know, not really listening to my mom, talking back, you know, just stuff like that. Typical, typical childhood experiences then. I mean, you were yeah, just acting yeah. out like a typical child. Yeah. Yeah. And her two sisters were more like shy and compliant. And I think that's a big piece of it. Like, I think honestly, even if this had never happened, I think Jesse just had a different personality type. Mm-hmm. Like she was more like her dad and kind of was this fun one or the loud one or the one that didn't always listen and her sisters weren't like that so I think she always just felt different period but then after the murders I think she felt even more like alone in that way like she's not like the others oh sure so with everything going on at home though you did end up acclimating pretty well to Florida like you made friends yeah oh yeah I ended up liking Florida okay and can you tell me a a little bit about that and your your the friendships that you formed um, I don't really remember the people. Um, I remember the school, Pelican Elementary. <laughs> I remember there were hamsters in the room. Uh, one got loose one time. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> it still would be. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, stuff like that. I just, um, there was a ball field. I, I don't know how far away it was, but I remember going to the ball field. Like, it, it was fun because it was normally nice out so and I loved being outside yeah so you know I'd meet my friends down at the ball field or you know we just hung out and like I don't remember my friends but I remember you know hanging out with them and Bob was a pastor at a church at that time nope he worked for a bank at that time he worked for a bank now at some point in time how did you guys come to live in we call it a manse here but basically it's a a parsonage right the the church owns this house Mm -hmm. yes um i don't know how he actually became uh a pastor but i I think he went to school for it i'm pretty positive so he was working and then was in like took an interest in it and it's something he wanted to do and then it seems like this offer came up in indiana for him to come and be the minister of this church and so supposedly that's why Jesse and her family believed that they moved but then there was obviously other stuff going on in the background okay like what it was at the time it was something about I don't even remember the exact details just not it was something about the bank he worked at there was a huge like 
legal issue that arose with like money laundering or something. And I think it was related to like a cartel. Wow. Something oh. like that. And dang. Obviously a dangerous situation. And so there's a lot of speculation on that being the reason that they actually had left. But okay. whether it was or not, I don't know. Nothing ever came Bob's way about it. I don't think he was in the fray of it really, but he ended up moving to Indiana to like basically step into this minister thing that he had been training for. And that's a hard adjustment from the weather of Florida to the weather of Indiana for anybody. Our world, our worldwide listeners that don't know, they're two totally different climates Correct. all year round. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> so here you are, Jesse, not even wanting to move to Florida, then ending up falling in love with Florida and then now being yep. moved to Lakeville, Indiana. Yep. Mm. Yep. I was pissed about that, too. Oh, I bet. I bet. <laughs> yep. Were no, all the kids? They, they, no, no. Like, my sisters were pretty easygoing. Okay. They didn't really speak up. It was me. Sure. I, you know, I voiced my opinion quite a bit. Maybe so, they didn't yeah. need to because they had big sister Jessie to do it for them, too. Oh, actually, that's a good point. I never yeah. thought about that. Yeah. That yeah. was always Jesse and Jeff who were the two to, to throw the fit or be pissed, basically, okay. I think, for mm-hmm. most things. Yep. 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 Well, and your step-siblings, I mean, they're older in age when they end up moving to Indiana, right? So they're basically in high school, middle school age, and Jeff definitely in high school, and then they get ripped out of their, what they know also. Oh, yeah, and they had been there their whole life, so. And, like, this was their first time moving away from where they were last with their mother, you know, that they lost, whereas you guys, this was now your second move from moving um, away from where you last were with your father. So I imagine that that wasn't easy um, for them either. Um, No, I don't think that would be well received by any teenager, to be honest. No, 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 definitely not. With cornfields and cold weather and we're going to be at a little church, it's going to be great. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I think, I do think that it is so much easier for us who have grown up around here and we don't know anything different than Mm -hmm. for, for people who are, that try to come here, right, into these type of rural areas. Um, that's yeah. always a hard word for me to say. I, I almost rural. nailed it. <laughs> almost. <laughs> we say often on this podcast, words are hard. Words are so hard. Um, and so, you know, I mean, that would be to go from a place where there was a lot of things to do, especially like the beach, and you know oh, yeah. all of that yep. to then here's Indiana we have corn we have snow <laughs> right. wind yep. that's about cows. it right cows, cows. Yep. yes <laughs> sometimes it smells like cows oh, or pigs yeah mm-hmm. yeah and town gossip and that's what that's what we've got <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty much oh gracious. so around how old would you have been then when you guys moved to Indiana uh Seven. Okay. And then you acclimated okay? Uh, kind of. I mean, I, like I said, I was pissed at first. And then once I started making friends, then I was okay. Sure. You know, because then I realized, like, my mom, I had free reign. I could ride my bike five miles up the road. You know, I had babysitting jobs. I had, you know, so once once I got acclimated and made friends then I was okay you know for that part you know sure never for the bob part really but for the rest right right what was your relationship like with your stepfather not very good 
Um, he was an authoritarian. Mm. So I, like, my real dad, he, he did use a belt, you know, 80s, but he loved yeah. me. And I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was like, yes, you're going to whoop my ass, but I know you love me, right. you know. For Bob, he you start, used a belt at first, and I was like, no, you don't love me. I don't love you. Right. So I did not like him. Yeah. You know, no. I was at like, that point, it just feels like abuse. Yeah. Because there's no yeah. emotional and stable stable connection there before, no, before exactly. going to that authority. Um, yeah. I mean, truly. Like, I already don't like you, and now I don't like you even more. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, think about that. That's just an adult hitting you at that point yeah, in time, is. you know? Yeah, that, yeah. I could see how, uh, add that to the trauma checklist too. I mean, just because yeah. that's not, um, and, and truly like in the state of Michigan, um, Megan and I, you know, we know the child protection law in and out, that's for sure. And, uh, right. you know, using an implement like that um, isn't illegal until it leaves a bruise. Right. And now you've crossed the line over into, you know, legalities there and it's now it's considered abuse and, you know, and and for, for good reason, because it does just feel like this, this adult is just hitting me, you know, um, even for people who have an established connection. So I can't imagine it's, it's much worse when you don't have that, that, uh, actual relationship yet. How was how, How was your relationship with your mom after the move to Indiana? Um, I felt like she didn't love me. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Like she took his side. I could see that. Yeah. I felt like she didn't want me. I felt like I was just a burden, a problem. You know, she was always yelling at me. I mean, I, looking back now, yes, I was a shit. I get that. (laughs) You know, I get that. She was doing what she had to, you know, to keep me under control. I get that. But, you know, as a child, you don't see that part. You see my mom's always yelling at me. She's, you know, always mad at me. Um, And I just, I didn't feel loved. I felt like I didn't belong there. So we didn't have a very good relationship. Sure. You know. And kids, people don't realize, but kids take on everything they internalize everything so they take it on as their own so if your mom is struggling you know that she's she's going was you know not able to really properly grieve the loss of your father then she's got to acclimate to this new man right and his rules and how he's gonna live and we kept our men happy in the 80s we did that was that was how women you know operated back then um you know so she's got her own things as well and then frustration of you know anytime you're acting like a normal kid and and acting out and so as kids you don't see that but you feel it and you take it all on as your own um yeah truly yeah yeah exactly jesse can you tell us a little bit about um the the last day that you saw your family well, um, my sister Janelle and I were supposed to go to a friend's house for the weekend and my mom was in the bathroom and my friend was, you know, uh, getting ready to pick us up. And I walked in there and I'm like, I'm like, okay, we're getting ready to go. And she's like, well, it's, you're just going. And I was like, what? So I started to throw a fit and I was like, no, Janelle's supposed to come with me. And she's like, she's not going only you. And so I started to tried to throw a bigger fit and she gave me the look and I was like, Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> right. It's the look. So 
then I was like, fine, you know, um, but yeah, that was and did she, pretty much. Do you the, ever know why she wouldn't, did Janelle get in trouble? Did No, no, I don't, I honestly don't know why she didn't let her go. Wow. I really don't. I mean, to this day, it just, you know, I don't know. It just, and I wish she would have, but of you know, course, right, right. <laughs> why would, you know, can't change the past, but no. No, why would she have been going with you to your friend's house? Well, we hung out because we were so close in age. Yeah. We hung out with a lot of the same friends. Oh, yeah. So, you know. It would have been normal then for her to have gone with you on any other given day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Yep, that's how my boys are. They all have the same circle of friends. Yeah, my sister's 17 months younger than I am. Like, Mm -hmm. we were dressed as twins and hung out together and, yeah. That's yep. that's how it yep, works. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's how we were. And we're, my we're, mom used to dress us the same. We're relatively the same age, so I, I remember that time frame as well. What year were you born, yeah. Jesse? Seventy nine. Oh, yeah, okay. She's yep. two, you're like two years younger than I am. I was seventy seven. So but again, that same oh, okay. time frame. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So when you get to your friend's house, um, I'm assuming just a typical weekend, you guys are having a good time, slumber partying yep. and eating snacks and watching movies. Yep, pretty much. And at what point in time were you supposed to go home? Um, I was supposed to be home in time for church on Sunday morning. Okay. Sure. Past, new, pastor's daughter, right? So that was typical. <laughs> yep. You would have had to have been home to go to church. Yeah. Yep. And then can you tell us what happened when you got home? Yeah. Okay. So. Take a deep breath. Yeah. Right. And just I get know. through it as fast as you want to. Or don't say it at all. However, however you want. Honey. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So we pull up. Um, I see this upside down danger sign and I'm like looking at it. And the first thought in my head is what happened to my dog? You know, oh, cause we sure. had this husky major and I'm like, <laughs> you know, something happened to my dog. What's going on? There's people everywhere. There's cops. There's, and I just, I really didn't know what was going on. And so we, my friend's mom pulled up into the driveway and it's, you know, it's a big parking lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we pull up, this cop comes up and he comes to her door and she rolls her window down and he says, you know, can I speak to you? And so she gets out, they go in front of the, the van and um, all of a sudden I see her just break down mm-hmm. and sure, I'm thinking in my head, what is going on? Right. You know, right. my dog must be dead. I, it's still my dog, you know. Of course, yeah. Because uh, why would your nine-year-old brain go anywhere else? <laughs> right. Yeah. So then she comes to my side, opens the door, and she's like, "You know, I have to talk to you. I have to tell you something." And that's when she told me that everybody was gone, and I just, I broke down. I just, I didn't even know what to think. You know. Of course. It, what do you think at nine years old? You. you you can't even fathom what's happening, Mm-mm. you know? No. And now your brain um, is in survival mode. You know, your brain yeah. and body have suffered such a shock that it is mm-hmm. firing literally at all cylinders, just trying to keep you um, in, in a state of, of survival of breathing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then I just remember crying for days. Oh, days. sure. Sure. Like, I don't remember much. Like, I just remember they took me back to their house and I just remember crying. Sure. 
the friend's mom, mom. took yep. you back. Okay. I have a, yep. an odd question that neither one of you might even have an answer for, but just being in the line of work that Megan and I are in, did she choose to tell you or did the police kind of put that on her? I've always, that piece is always really odd to me that she took that, like, what a, you know, did the police, maybe the police know. offered to tell you and she thought it would be best from, you know, someone that you already knew. I don't know, but I'm just thinking that, you know, my heart, really my heart went out to her too. Like, yeah, mom, I can see it though, because I can't mm-hmm. imagine like I put myself in that situation. Like mm-hmm. letting the stranger police officer break that news. Yep. I just don't, I think I would step in even if I didn't want to to break the news. I, I agree. Right. Yeah. I wondered if yep. she did that because I definitely would have too, Jamie, just like you said, just as a mom. Yeah, that makes sense. Jamie, mm-hmm. I know that you did a lot of research, especially with like uh, police reports and statements and such that were made. And, and with Jesse being in the state that she was in and just kind of crying for those, you know, entire three days, if not more. Were there any interviews that happened? Um, and do you remember anything that was documented in terms of statements that were made? That I don't know. And so at that time, I'm living in Indianapolis with my dad, so like about three hours away from where this all happened. And so you have to understand that like there's when all the town people and everyone knew was probably on the news and everything. I knew when my dad got the call from family and then my dad told me at our house, like I remember being on, he was like, you know, Jamie, I need you to come downstairs. I need to tell you something. And it was like the only time I remember him ever doing that. Like it was like Mm -hmm. this serious formal Mm -hmm. feeling thing. And so I came downstairs and I just remember him telling me that, Sorry. Okay. <laughs> there had been a tragedy and that they had been murdered and that they were shot in their home. But that the good news was that Jesse was still alive. Mm-hmm. And I remember being grateful in that moment. Oh, absolutely. But looking back now, like from the seat I have today, it feels like a selfish thing to be grateful for that because I know what it did to her into her life. But how old were you, Jamie? I was about 12. I'm three years older than Jesse. Yeah, I think there's a beautiful narcissism about being a preteen that it does go directly to you, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just one of those things, too, where you're like, you you knew you know your cousin you love your cousin even if you're not together all the time. So it is almost that relief that okay she made it like it, she didn't well, get taken too. It's a normal reaction because it's like if there's any scenario where something terrible happens to part of a whole family, you want someone to have survived or for there to be anyone left. It's like this clinging to what's left kind of a thing. So I think it is normal. Yes, oh, abs- yeah. absolutely. Well, and, and truly, it's hard to fathom the four deaths, but it, it would be even harder to fathom five. You know, I mean, again, that's your brain going to what it can cling to to cope as you experience the trauma as well. And so, well, and I think know. there's a different feeling too, I think. Um, and that's the thing some people, I think, unless they've been through it, it's hard to understand. You can kind of imagine it, but it's like, it's one thing to say, hey, like part of the family was in a car wreck today right. and they were hit by a drunk driver and they all died. Like, that's one thing, but it's like you sit and play in your mind, like the terrible thing that happened to them, mm-hmm. like on a loop. Like, you can't even think about the loss without thinking about how. Absolutely. And why? And it's just like this 
it's like a layer of trauma above the trauma, if that makes sense. It it's does. Just so I actually was just going to say that. Yes, I was just going to say it is a whole nother layer of trauma, that one that probably often goes unrecognized for the general person just listening to the story, that they don't even think about um, truly in a, a tragedy like this and hearing how it happened, how you can't help but put yourself in your loved one's position. Right. And, but that's not, that's not typically people read about things in newspapers or whatever. That's not typically what they do. So that makes complete sense. It, it is a yeah, whole nother layer. It's like if layer. it was your mom or your sister, mm-hmm. it feels a whole lot different than like, oh, you watched a show on 48 hours and it was a good one. Absolutely. Like it's, it's a personal experience and a personal loss. It's different. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you yeah. think about so much more, I would imagine that, you know, other people just wouldn't. And so I, I, definitely understand that Jesse um did they when so this is what I I wasn't clear on um they had only told you in your nine-year-old you know self that um your family had been shot correct I don't even know if they told me they had been shot okay I wondered that okay yep yeah that's what I'd wonder because I believe that's really how how Jamie worded it that was my understanding from the book it's just like you just knew they were gone and then piece together things from like adults talking around you (laughs) you know rather than to you that they were shot okay what did you think happened I really had no clue like nobody my okay so my mom's side of the family um i mean i do love them i don't really talk to them anymore i mean i do talk to one of my cousins but um they're more of the it's done get over it Mm -hmm. type of family Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it wasn't ever talked about i couldn't talk about them it was a hush hush thing so for me i really had no clue what had really happened so you know, for me, I had to make up stuff in my head. Yeah. You know, of course. Brain so, fills in the blanks. Yeah. So I thought that Bob had killed them and then killed himself. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought for all those years. Which that would make sense when you're experiencing the things that you experienced with Bob, right? You experienced yeah. his his discipline, his meanness, um, is what it, yep. I'm sure it felt like. So it seems mm-hmm. your brain could piece that together. Of this seems logical. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Your um your step siblings were not there either. They were both no. gone the day of the massacre. Yep. Yep. When was the next time you saw them after being told um, your family was gone? Um, I remember going to Red Lobster. I don't know how many days after it was, but I do remember going to Red Lobster because I was eating the shrimp tails. I do- <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just, Isn't that funny? I, I, I really don't know why I remember that, but sure. I was eating the shrimp tails. I mean, they were crunchy and they were like, you're not supposed to eat those. <laughs> That's fantastic. Those sensory things, though, that's what helps you pinpoint key memories. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first time I remember being with them. So I don't I don't know how long after that was. I I really don't remember. I suck with timing. So but uh, yeah, that's the first time I remember seeing them after that. Mm -hmm. Jamie, what kind of an investigation was being done at this point in time? By law enforcement. Did they have suspects? There's like what I know now. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. from piecing it together. Then I knew nothing, um, mm-hmm. but it did hit the news. I mean, this was a big time story. Like it was running on the local news here in Indiana. It was like a big deal. Of course. Um, and it got picked up by like the New York Times. I mean, it was everywhere at that time just because it was a minister and the whole family and such a violent, terrible thing. But what we know now looking back is that it depends who you talk to about this. Um, some would say that they were pinpointing Jeff for this, but the truth is if you were talking to Jeff and looking at all the circumstances around what had happened, everything points to Jeff. Even the things that come out of Jeff's mouth point to Jeff. Like, And so it's one of those things where circumstantially, if you are getting all the, the information and you're listening to it all and taking it all in, it's pointing you in a direction. And it's not to say where they're like 100% he did this. It's just this is all pointing this direction. So he and his sister pretend he got railroaded and all of this. In reality, if you look at all the circumstantial stuff, it was just so much of it, like so much of it. There's no way they could have done their job if they weren't looking at. Agreed. Stuff. And just to clarify too, for our listeners, um, you can absolutely 100% convict on circumstantial evidence if you believe it to be true. So I think sometimes people use the terminology circumstantial evidence and to them, it means something less than beyond a reasonable doubt. And it absolutely is not. You can totally convict on that. Yeah. And sometimes they're the stronger cases, honestly. And I think that's the thing that makes me crazy about this one is I think they tether to like, was there DNA and all this stuff like back at that time, it wasn't all what it is now. It was different. And circumstantially if everything is so clicking into place to show it was him I think they still considered everything and they were trying to look at all the things but it's just like you can't take your eyes off what's directly in front of you and the things that are happening were so big so it's like yes I don't want you to give everything because I really want people to to read this to get the big picture but can you give a couple of examples of what had been happening in Jeff's life around that time that maybe motive Prior to this, and this is interesting, too, because it gets rewritten a little bit, depending who you talk to. But basically, Jeff was kind of a troublemaker and rebelling, just like Jesse was, but at a heightened level because he was an older teenager. So at this time, he's like 17. He's still super pissed off. His mom died. He literally hates Dawn. My Aunt Dawn, Jesse's mom, hates her guts, like would literally have the earth just swallow her up if he could. Um, And... Dawn had expressed to her best friend Mona at times that he would look at her like it with so much hate that it was like there was fire coming from his eyes. Like Mm -hmm. she knew he hated her. Mm -hmm. Like it was just a known everyday on eggshells being in a home with this 17 year old who literally hates your guts. Um, and so I've lost my question. question? Well, I just, (laughs) to go along with the acting out, he had been in trouble prior to this event. Sorry, I'm back. (laughs) He had been um, in trouble for local theft, um, and he had been drinking and just getting in a lot of trouble. It had gotten to the point where Bob had gotten pissed about it, like, you need to knock it off. And he had actually um, removed the car insurance from Jeff's Mustang for six months. Like, hey, you've been acting up, and because of this, like, you're grounded, and you're not driving your Mustang, and I'm even canceling the insurance. That's how pissed I am about this. Um, So that's kind of going into this. Jeff and his dad are very much at odds. um, And the prom was this time that night, actually. Yes. Um, And basically, he was dating this girl, Darla. They were very much at the time teenagers in love, going to go to the prom. Jeff is pissed 
that his dad has told him he's not driving his own date to the prom. Like okay. his daddy is going to escort them to the prom. Like imagine 17, mm. it's like, it's like we look at it and we're like, well, that's dumb. Get over it, whatever. But when you're 17, you'd rather die than have your like dad escorting you like of you're being course. chaperoned. Of course. Um, and yes. then he was also told that he wasn't going to be allowed to go to like the after events. At some point, I do think Bob relents on the second piece of that potentially, but he never relents on the fact that Jeff is not driving to the prom. And on the actual day prior to the, like the day of the murders, but prior to that morning, Jeff is out in the front yard washing his Mustang. Mm. And at one point, Bob comes out and is like, what are, like, I don't know why you're washing the car. You're not driving it. And Mm -hmm. a church member saw this exchange. Okay. So it's like, even as of that afternoon, Bob was saying you're not driving it and there was no insurance on the car I mean it's mm-hmm. Bob yeah, he was hadn't kind of a changed his mind person. on that yeah so yep. not happening so I just it, some of the stuff gets spun other ways but in reality I think Jeff was so incredibly pissed and embarrassed that his dad was like ruining this last big senior prom moment with his girlfriend and he probably felt humiliated and resentful mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it and he does end up going to prom I mean from what we know he he went yep. he shows up at the girlfriend's house and they end up going to prom and he's gone most of the night then correct or is he gone the yeah. whole night he drives his Mustang yes he drives his Mustang and they go to the prom um there's some timing um as far as like there were some prom goers because Bob knew all the local teenagers and there were some girls that were going to come over and show Bob and Dawn their dresses you know, like, hey, stop by, show us your dresses or whatever. And so they were going to stop by to show the dresses. Mm-hmm. And they come, I don't remember the time, it's been a while, but let's say 4.30, 5 o'clock, I don't recall. But when they come to come show the dresses, the house is locked and no one comes to the door. Mm. Okay. Okay. And Jeff has already gone with the Mustang at that time. All right. And that's not normal. That house was never locked. No, it's a man's. It's a parsonage. People, kind of the open door policy, right? Parishioners are going to come in. Yes. Yep. Anybody could come over. Um, Yeah. So that was not normal. And and where was um, the step? Why why can't I remember the stepsister's name? Jackie. 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 Where was Jackie? Uh, She was at a camp. Okay. Because she she was uh, like a counselor there like a church camp or something, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And Jeff and Jackie had a good relationship, right? And yeah. Okay. Yes, they yeah. did. All right. Mm-hmm. That's the, 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 that's I think she got tired of his crap too, to be honest, because she was more like Jesse's little sisters where she was like quiet and compliant and just did what her dad said and didn't ever talk back or anything. And Jeff was the one always carrying the banner for the rebellion kind of thing. So I think and I'm not putting, I'm not her, but I just, sure. it seems like she probably would have been like, I wish he would just do what he's supposed to do. I wish he would quit getting in trouble. I wish he wouldn't right. make such a fuss all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Make the home life just a little bit more stable and, and peaceful. Yeah. How long until there were criminal charges in this case? Oh, geez. 13 years. Okay. So in the meantime, these 13 years, there's no charges. And where yep. are you, Jesse? Where are you at this point? Midland, Michigan. And who were you staying with? Um, actually, I had my own trailer. Um, I bought it with my inheritance money. Mm-hmm. And by this time, I had, well, Tyson was my boyfriend at the time, but uh, we had, I think I had both my kids at this time. So they were yeah. super young. 
Um, but yeah, so I had my trailer. You were 23 when he got arrested, I think. Okay. So yeah, I had both my kids. I had both my kids and Tyson. So yeah. So what, what brought you back to, to Midland? Where, who did you stay with? Like, were you in foster care? Did you stay with families, you know, and how did you come to, to be in Midland and meet Tyson? Okay. So after it all happened, my mom's dad, um, brought me back to live with them. They couldn't really handle me cause I cried all the time. I was super sad just, and they're an older couple. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, it makes sense. They're, they're just not equipped for that. Kids are to be seen, not heard. And we don't know how to yeah. handle trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they sent me to Midland to live with my aunt who had three children thinking maybe oh if I was around kids, it would help. Oh, well, no, 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 no. no. Can yeah. I ask aunt on whose side? On, on your, my ba- mom's, side. On your mom's, mom's side. Okay. My mom's side. And so, she was younger too. She was pretty young. All right. Oh, that, years the, the aunt was? Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 12 years apart. Yeah. So not that many years apart. No, that's how many Um, years apart my husband and I are. I mean, just to give you some perspective. (laughs) (laughs) And Charnel's far more mature than Matt is. Yes. Yes, I am. (laughs) Yeah. So, but but yeah, so I went to live with them and, you know, I, I love my uncle, but he was not the nicest person at Mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, called me a little shit, shithead, mm. just wasn't the nicest. And, you know, I mean, I did rebel. I, yeah. So I wasn't the easiest to live with. You know, I had all this trauma. Oh, I goodness. was cutting. Yeah. And okay. they wouldn't let me talk about anything. Right. So right. it's all pent up and I had to release it somewhere. So I was cutting at the time. So they were dealing with that on top of everything. Um, Gosh. And I just, it, I don't know, like, Christmases, they would get all these gifts, and I would get like one thing. Oh gosh! So you weren't treated you know, as I a mean, member of the family. You were a visitor. Yeah. Yes, I mean, yeah, it was a cool gift. I'll give them that. It was, you know, like a castle Lego. Like I loved Legos back then, so mm-hmm. you know, it was cool. But I just, I felt the indif- indifference, you know. Right. I mean, so, you're already think, struggling to not to feel like you're not fitting in, right? And yeah, then yeah. there's things happening in your environment that are kind of. I mean, doing nothing but making, like, conferring it to your mind. Like, mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's yep. like basically all these people seemingly to her at that age trying to get her to pretend that she never had the life she had and that she never had the family she had and that she just needs to be happy with this now. Yes. Like, yes. She's the yeah. only one carrying it all. Which I think yeah. is very common for the time. Well, yeah, yeah, let's just to be clear, it would be fair to say throughout the rest of your childhood, you never received any type of counseling psychiatric assistance anything well they tried one time but it was a fucking sports doctor what <laughs> were you swear to god sports oh, what sports doctor a it sports was therapist man oh sports therapist. no yeah mm-hmm. uh, sports therapist and he kept trying to tell me i did not remember my dad i was like yes i do oh no, you don't. my god yes i do and it was, oh my God, it was awful. So in all of so his I, experience with soccer, he decided that a five-year-old yeah. couldn't remember her biological father. I was, I was 11 at this time. 12, maybe. Wow. I was like, yeah, I remember my dad. Well, um, I mean, you're stupid. from when you were five, though. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, 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 when I was five, yes. I was oh. like, you're stupid. 
So I shut down. I was like, I'm not seeing him again. Of I'm not course. doing it. Of that gives you, you would. a really bad taste for any type of counseling or attempt at opening up too, right? Because yeah. he's yeah. supposed mm-hmm. to be a professional. And so how can I yeah. talk to everybody else if this dickhead doesn't even believe mm-hmm. me? First of all, this is what help looks like. Good luck. Right. You lost me at old ass man anyway. Like for the time, for the time, you just know that they're not going to, to really be trauma informed, but then sports, I mean, I love sports, but I know the difference between someone who needs, you know, to get over their own fear and doubt to, for performance anxiety and someone who's been through significant trauma who needs actual help. Right. Oh God. Yeah. I'm so sorry. It, it was bad. Well, I, well, it was so bad. So I don't know. <laughs> After all this, I was just like, you know what? Fuck this. So I ended up running away. Okay. Sure. Yeah. And Where'd you run to? How we, far did you make it? Okay. So <laughs> actually my aunt had just bought me contacts and I was like, cool. And we went to pizza Sam's downtown <gasps> and I love pizza Sam's. I made the decision yeah, I made the decision to run away and I said I had to go to the bathroom and I slipped out the side door and took off. Mm-hmm. And I made it to some of my friends' houses because she didn't know all my friends. And I made it and she had the cops looking for me. They came to some of my friends' houses. And I finally, it was probably a couple of days. And then I finally went back to school and I went to the counselor and I said, I will not go back there. I'm not going back there. You're not going to make me. I'm not doing it. So she ended up letting me go to her house. The counselor. Yeah. Great. The school counselor. Oh no, not great. No, it was bad. Okay. Here oh, I am better. hoping that we have even a better. Okay. <laughs> even better. <laughs> so. Oh, good. No, <laughs> it's not funny. It's really not. But it, I you know. know. This, this you is your wine, Andy. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. Andy. <laughs> Let's all take a collective drink right now. Okay. Just to tell you the story. <laughs> so I go to her house, and I'm thinking, cool. I feel, I feel like I'm loved right now. I feel safe. So I'm in the attic. They have a bed up there, whatever. So I'm there overnight. I get up in the morning, and I have to use the bathroom. So I go down to the door, and it's fucking locked. What? And I'm like, yeah, it's locked. Oh, and I'm gosh. like trying to open this door and I'm like, what the hell? She locked so it's, you? I don't even know how much. Yeah, she locked me in. Like locked her in the attic like this bad feet or something. Oh, my Lord, Cinderella. Yeah, what? like I'm going to kill them all in their sleep or something. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm now remembering so, this from the book. I had forgot that she had locked it. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, my God. I was like, what in the hell? Ugh. So she finally opens the door and I'm like, why'd you lock me in? She's like, I didn't. I go, yes, you did. I couldn't get out. So I'm like, okay, so then here's another counselor that I have no faith in now. Well, of course. So this psycho's trying to tell you that she didn't have you locked up there? (laughs) Yeah, she tried to tell me she didn't have me locked up there. I'm like, I'm not dumb. I know when I can't open a door. Right, right. So, but, you know, so then there was that. And then one of my friends in choir, her mom took in girls. She wasn't an actual foster home, but she took in girls. So long story short, I ended up moving in with her. You know, my grandfather said it was okay. And I was with her until I was 16. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then I moved out to a friend's house. Stayed with her probably about a year. And then I moved in with my boyfriend and his dad. And then I moved in with his mom and her boyfriend. And then I got my own place. What was the boyfriend's name? 
Uh, his name was Dave at the time. I was with him for three years. Oh, great. Okay. Yep. And, and then that's when I bought my own trailer. Okay. And pretty self-sufficient at that point, right? Yes. Once I've got my own trailer, I was like, oh my God, it's my, my very own place. Yes. I don't have to rely on anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like I'd accomplished something. Yes. And just knowing that you have that stability because something, something that people maybe don't realize about children is that they need to know what's going to happen next. Like be able yeah. to just know. That's why routines are so important for children. Yeah. And so really yeah. not knowing, you know, where you're going to be next or staying next, that mm-hmm. creates a lot of trauma, a lot of anxiety. And so I, I can imagine for you just knowing I have purchased this place. This is mine. No one can take this from me. I know yeah. just bringing that whole new sense of stability that you probably hadn't and comfort and security that you had hadn't felt since you were nine years old. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so you, at this point you meet, when do you meet Tyson? Well, I met him actually when I was 16. Okay. So you guys have um, been friends a long time. Yeah. Well, Dave's sister, this is a funny part. Dave's sister uh, was married to Tom and Ty was Tom's friend. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Ty actually saw me and was like, told Tom, I, I don't know if he was joking or whatever. He's like, I'm going to marry her one day. Mm, who's that hottie? <laughs> yeah. I'm not a joke. You just know. <laughs> you just know. Yep. Yeah. So he, he said that to him. He's five years older than me. So, you know, at that time he's 21 or 20, 20. I suck with math. Right. <laughs> I do too. Okay. That's were, why I went I into social work. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, and he said to him, you know, I'm going to marry her one day. But we met back up because I had a, like, I get along better with guys. Me too. You know, oh, yeah, I don't like yeah. the drama. Yep. But so I was 18 and we went to a party and I walked up and there was Tyson. And he's like, Jesse? I was like, Tyson? And literally from that day on, we never separated. Mm-hmm. Okay. Beautiful. And you have so, two children together, correct? Yep. 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 Boy, girl, Two girls, two boys. Boy, 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 and a girl. Okay. Dakota and Austin. All right. So yep. here's the part, Jesse, where I'm going to ask you: um, At what point in time, then, as an adult, do you realize that you have all of this unresolved trauma? Okay, so like I obviously knew I had issues because I had been cutting when I was younger. I did get over that for a while. Um. But I I would have, like, episodes where I couldn't remember stuff. Like, I'd wake up at work, and I'd be like, how the hell did I get here? Mm, yep. So you're having short-term memory loss. You're, you're blocking things. Your brain is protecting you. Well, the thing is, I didn't realize I had DID back then. Yeah, which oh, for people okay. who don't know, it's dissociative identity disorder. Right. Um, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't realize I had sense. it. Yep. And uh, I wake up at work and they're like, well, we can't get you. I'm like, what? Okay. It was just bizarre. Yeah. And uh, so, but I have OCD really bad, anxiety, depression. Um, but I just kind of thought I was just weird. Like I didn't realize it was a thing. Or that it was connected so, to the trauma that you experienced in childhood. Yeah. I had yeah. no clue. Sure. So sure. when... You might as well call her my niece. It was um, Dave's niece. 
but I still keep in contact with that whole family. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, Lexi, she had cystic fibrosis. She was 23. Um, she had passed away on October 28th. Oh. Well, when that happened, it was a whole week. I don't remember. Oh, a wow. whole week. I went to work. Um, I don't remember any of it. Like snippets. I'll remember like snippets. It's almost like I was over my body watching myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Super weird. Yep. Your, um, your soul was literally vacating your actual human body for protection. Mm-hmm. That yeah. Happens. That and happens. Yeah. So, and then my poor husband <laughs> had to like deal with Jessica. Sure. And she was not happy. <laughs> um, so yeah, well, you know, long story short, I ended up having to admit myself. Cause when I would come to, I mean, I had cuts all over my body. I'd wake up to pictures on my phone. I'm like, what in the fuck is happening? Like yeah. it scared and me. Like notes, that, like journal notes and stuff. She would write that mm. she literally oh, yeah. was like reading someone else had written it. It wasn't her. Yeah. That's, her. Yep. What a terrifying lo- lock last. I'm sorry. Loss of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was terrifying. And at this point I mean, there in were... time, you guys had been working on the book by this yes. point, right? Yep. So yep. you have yep. those triggers. That. We have triggers coming up too, just from, you know, going Talking through. about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, maybe yep. we should so... interrupt now then, kind of, if I could real quick. Jamie, at yeah. what point, at what point did you find Jessie to start working on this book then, since we're right in that time frame of her life? Yeah, so it was... I believe in 2014 and like we said earlier, we have a really big family. So I'm connected to like a lot of them on Facebook and mm-hmm. you know how it pops up like someone you may know or whatever. Yes. It was like one day I and saw. And usually you don't want up. to know those people. So you keep yeah, moving. But this one, I see like it's Jesse, but she's got this hot pink hair and I'm mm-hmm. like, holy shit. Like it's Jesse, like, because we had <laughs> lost touch since my high school graduation. So from 17 to however old I would have been quite a lot later. And uh, I, I, I sent the friend request and we kind of connected, but it's the whole weird thing of like, I know what's happened to you and you know what's happened to you, but are we supposed to or allowed to talk about that? Mm-hmm. Like, Especially should I mention given... it? Should I not? It's yeah. like this super yeah. awkward, like societal dance we do with mm-hmm. this kind of thing. And so at some point, like I had realized that this bullshit book was out about the murders. And so I had gotten my hands on that and started reading it after we had connected and for me it was like it was interesting i call it the bullshit book for a reason but it yeah, was like we're not even going to tell anybody what the bullshit book is called because yeah. of the inaccuracies <laughs> no but i do really have a, that great. i do have a story a quick antidote to that um somebody wrote us and was like oh if you want more details um after we covered it on the patreon if you want more details you know there's this great book and I was like, yeah, well, we're going to have Jesse and Jamie on the podcast ourselves. We'll get the details then. Thank See, you. that's the problem, though, with some of these and why we have people like you guys come on. Because anybody can write a book about anything. Mm-hmm. And right. I'm sure that if someone were to read that book, they'd be like, oh, look at this. It's very interesting. This person covers all of this great information, but without ever getting any of the information from you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, and the other thing can, that can happen is if someone does a deep dive, say podcast on it, mm-hmm. and they tell you they're sharing all the evidence, but they actually don't, you don't know that they aren't. Correct. They tell you that they are. Right. So it's like we've ran into that as well. Oh, I bet. I bet. 
So how did you how did you broach the topic then with your cousin there, Jamie? So, like, let's write a book. So I read this bullshit book, and it takes everything I have, but it is interesting on some level for me, and like really pissed me off on other levels. And so I I finish it, and I'm just like totally feeling unsettled and kind of pissed, and just like it's not for me. It's like pissed for Jesse, if that makes sense. Because yes. I'm just like it's like basically she's just some side character that this didn't even really that much happen to. And she just talked about like, she's either just too young to know anything or a total fool. And so oh my god, it was just like, how are you like sidetracking this like major, like she's the youngest that this happens to. And she's lived her entire life dealing right. with the aftermath of this. So how is she not like, even she's like a part of this or really for crying out loud. Yeah. Like... And so I'm like pissed on behalf of her, like just so pissed. And so, one night I just decided I'm going to email her like, fuck it. Like what's the worst that could happen? Really? Like I have to, I have to tell her mm-hmm. that like I read this bullshit book that, you know, I remember what happened. I remember being at the funeral. Like I'm so sorry about everything. And I don't know if that makes you uncomfortable or whatever, but I like lay out my heart to her basically. And uh, she really received it. Well, like she had been waiting for someone to come back for her, like all these years of her life, oh. like waiting for someone to like, Hear about her and come back mm-hmm, for her mm-hmm. and acknowledge her existence. Yeah, who yes. she actually is. Yeah. Me. Not actually you for who yeah. you actually are. Yes. So Jesse, how did how did that feel that, that she reached out? Oh my God. I actually cried. I was like I was like, oh my God, she actually wants to know me. Mm. She actually wants to get to know me better and wants a relationship with me. Like it felt good. I was, I was surprised. So when she sent that to me, I was like, um, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So no, it was really good. I, like she said, she poured her heart and soul out to me and I just, it was amazing. I was like, you have no idea. I no, this is good. So <laughs> yeah, you felt- we can talk about this. Yeah. yeah, it was like, I want to know you. And her response was like, kind of like, I want to know you too. And yeah. so then it's like, we started talking on the phone and messaging and like watching the, shows the, together. Yeah, and... the real you, everything about yeah. you, the good, the bad, the ugly. We don't yeah. have to keep this crap in the closet anymore. Yeah. And yeah, if there is one thing that one message that can come from this, at least from my point of view to any of our listeners, it's that if you have someone in your life who has experienced significant trauma, especially in childhood or a loss, like a huge loss, please don't pretend like that never happened to them or like those people never existed. Um, Nope. We really highlighted that um, with our Patreons in talking about how unfair it is to do that to people. And we, I had several people email us and say, thank you for saying yep. that because they've experienced huge loss and family members who just pretend like they never existed and we're not allowed to talk about their memories right. and um, right right that's, and all the the only words they need are if you ever want to talk about it yeah I'm here mm-hmm. that's it that's it that's all they have to say like if you ever want to so it's not saying you have to I'm right. trying to get you I'm asking you questions it's just like hey I'm here and yep. somehow opening that door if you want to talk about it turned into you, Jesse, feeling comfortable enough to tell Jamie your entire story and document it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's this crazy thing because 
it's not like, oh, Jamie's an author and she'll write your book. Like I wasn't one. No, <laughs> right. I didn't know if I could write a freaking book. Like, <laughs> okay. so at some point this organically is like, you know, have you ever thought about telling your story? Cause that bullshit book just shouldn't be the only thing that stands as the record for your family and you. And she's like, well, you know, I've thought about it. And so it becomes like verbally, like, yeah, we should totally do it. And I'm like, I'll try, you know, we can try to do it. And then I'm like, we get off the phone and my total reaction behind that is like, holy shit. Like, I don't even know if I can write a book. Like, I'm telling her <laughs> right, that I'll do right. it, and I don't even know if I can. So I, like, freak out and message her back, and I'm like, hey, um, let me just try to write one chapter, and we'll see if I think I can do it. I'll have to try or something like that. if I know <laughs> how to write. Can I do this? Right. Yeah. yeah. And it well, turns out you found said. a beautiful calling, Jamie. <laughs> right. Well, what she had actually said was, you know, have you have you ever thought about, writing your story. And I said, well, you know, people have mentioned it and I thought about it, but I don't know if I could ever tell anybody. And she said, well, do you think you could tell me? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I think I could. And that's mm-hmm. actually what started it. Mm-hmm. And then that's when she said, well, let me write a chapter and see mm-hmm. if I can even do this. Yeah. So like, this is like on a Sunday and like on Monday at lunch at the law firm, I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to try to write a chapter of a book now. Oh, <laughs> like that's how it happened. And I was like, shit is good like I can do it good yeah when she when she sent me that I was like oh my fucking god you are amazing wow and you felt comfortable then here we go yes I did she's gonna Uh, put this down how I feel and that's how we feel reading the book just so you know I Mm -hmm. I, very rarely do you read a book that is written by somebody else that expresses exactly how you were feeling so well which is why we just we we love Jamie as an author because Mm -hmm. it's that's a natural talent. I'm, I'm, I did writing stuff in college. I have an English minor and, and I write and I'm a lawyer. So I did a lot of writing, but to be able to portray that, how you, you actual, you, the human, you, it's just, it was done well. Yes, it was. Jesse, you are explaining to us or we're explaining to us that you're going through these moments where you're disassociating men. And is this actively during the um, sharing of information for the book being written? Um, yeah, uh, it did bring up some stuff. Um, Jessica does come out. She doesn't come out quite often. Actually, she just came out last week, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, so the it's time not, of year, it's close to the time of year that you lost your niece too. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that is exactly what happened. Um, she was, Jessica was not nice to me. Um, ended up having stitches. Mm. Um, it was actually really scary. It does scare me. Like people don't understand DID, even the ER, like they don't, they don't understand. Oh, I can imagine. I'm like, it wasn't me. Right. Right. You know, me as Jesse, like I'm the altar. That's what people don't understand. I am the altar. Mm-hmm. You know, I became Jesse at 13. Okay. To survive. Mm-hmm. Yes. To Absolutely. survive. So Jesse, I'm the happy one. I'm the never sad, never mad, just happy-go-lucky, like always bubbly. And, you know, I've always had people say, how are you so happy all the time? I'm like, I don't know. I just am. But Mm -hmm. it was to protect myself. That was the first time really probably that you had disassociated then. 
Yeah. When did you get the, yep. I don't know if you would call it relief, but I would, the relief of a diagnosis so that you were finally like, oh, well, that's what the fuck is happening. <laughs> this, this yeah. Jessica is here. It was when we were working Jessica's... on the book. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was okay. crazy because it was like unfolding in live time. It's like we're unpacking yeah. the past and this trauma. And then she ends up in the hospital and it's the scariest thing ever. Cause at that point I'm like, fuck the book. I don't even care about the book. Like right. I need you to be okay. Right. We can stop yeah. if we need to. Like it was just, that we would take time and persevere through it. But she was diagnosed as we were live working on this book. Yeah. It was crazy. Cause it was just so eye opening for both of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I want to wow. say it was 2018, maybe. Probably 2017, 2018, somewhere in there. So it, it, I mean, I was in my thirties, late thirties. Yeah. And is so it, that's a is long it time. fair to say that it has helped you to be able to have the diagnosis and have a conscious understanding of what the hell is going on, you know, with your body yeah. when these things happen? And I just, I find it beautiful that one thing led to another and that's not coincidence. That's such a, yeah. you know, divine intervention of what was needed to help you. Um, yes, I, I really do. Because I think without the diagnoses, I think... I'd be dead already, honestly. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think um, me understanding that Jessica does come through and she's she's nine, ten, you know, and that mind, they don't understand consequence. Mm -hmm. No, right, right. So what she does to me, she doesn't understand it's going to kill me, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's the scary part. Like, and I have no control. She's acting her anger out. It sounds like. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. I'm hurting and I don't want to hurt anymore. Yeah. 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 And when I come to to these things, I freak out because I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Why do I have this cut? Why, sure. wh- you know? And I, and people don't understand that. And they're like, why are you cutting? That's not me. Right. Right. I, <laughs> I wasn't. quit doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I quit doing that personally when I was probably 14 you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, but Jessica, she's still stuck in that mode. Right. Yes. She's forever stuck in that, in that time and space. I mean, truly. Yeah. When the yeah. reason that it's called dissociative identity disorder, way, way back in the day, um, they used to call it multiple personality, but we have evolved since then and understand yeah. um, the brain a lot more since then. And truly, I just want the audience to know the reason it's called dissociative is because you disassociate fully, entirely mind and body. There is a complete yeah. disconnection there. And so whatever um, trauma is coming up, you know, for you, it's Jessica. You're, you know, yeah. comes through and and acts out whatever it is that she wants to at that time. That's not Jesse. You know, no. that is that is truly... Um, just a way of your brain coping with everything that it has been through. And, um, and I, I love that you highlight like you, that people don't understand. They think it's you because you have this one body. Yep. You sure do. But guess what? Your brain is an amazing thing that keeps your body alive. And it literally can create, it can disassociate. It creates havoc. Yep. And has a whole nother personality in there. Sometimes other, more than, is it just Jessica and Jesse then for you, for your, your dead? Okay. Yep. 
Thank God. But just think about even if you don't have a DAD diagnosis, how many times do we let our brains take us on negative thinking or just lead us right. to a place of, of depression um, seasonally right. this time of year too? We let our brains do things all like that all the time. For So people who don't understand how something as serious of DA, as DID could um, occur from your situations, why wouldn't it? I mean, we do right. things right. all the time to leave our own heads, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's age 10. Like your brain is not even prepared to deal no. with trauma before mm-hmm. the age of 10. Mm-hmm. So it's like it can't even. Yeah. So it's like it does what it, it can best to help. It survives. Right. First of all, it's not even fully developed until you're 25. And sometimes right. I think men, I was 50. just going to say, and for men, I, I think 50. my husband's is still evolving. Yeah, he so. is still evolving. <laughs> from his post from last week, he's clearly still evolving. <laughs> Um, it sounds positive though when you right say it absolutely but we say it with love <laughs> so, in the right direction. Mm-hmm. you can say a lot of things with that, love that's right jamie i want to go i mean we're talking so much about um how things are, are moving along that in jesse's journey but i have to make sure that everybody understands at some point there is an arrest made in this case yes there is. So the murders happened in 1989, and then Jeff was arrested in 2002. Um, he's 31 years old, and he is working at IBM. He's getting off of a business flight when he is taken into custody. So wow. Jeff has gone on to live this normal life. He is uh, living in Florida still, or he's moved back to Florida? Yep. I think he had. He and his wife had gotten divorced and then remarried or something, but I think they were married at that time, and yeah. So he's and gone on was, and I, had a family. Correct. Yep, we, we had a son. And why did it, from your guys' perspectives, why did it take so long for there to be criminal charges? Well, if you, uh, just having reviewed mm-hmm. everything, obviously, I think it's all up to the prosecutor, right? It's like, are they going to bring it or not? Is yes. there enough or not? Do they want the murder weapon or not? And at that time, like around the murders, um, they really wanted the murder weapon and they didn't have it. And so mm-hmm. they weren't going to bring charges. Um, that's, that's really how a new I prosecutor, felt too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A new prosecutor stepped in at some point and basically he made this his priority case, like the cold case of Pelly became priority mm-hmm. and, um, they had a whole team working on it. And basically I think them just reviewing everything that had been done and looking at all the evidence that was there, um, they just felt strongly that they could get a conviction based on it without the murder weapon. So that's, yeah. that's what they did. I a hundred percent agree with that impression. I was a prosecutor and I know that, um, some prosecute, everybody's different, right? So some prosecutors are going to look at something and say, if I can't prove this beyond a reasonable doubt, I'm not even going to charge. Mm-hmm. I was not that type of prosecutor. I usually erred on the side of charging cause you only need probable cause to do that. And then, um, and then piecing my case together. Um, and mm-hmm. there was so much circumstantial evidence that was so, so beautiful in this case. And I know that's an awful word, but for a prosecutor, it's beautiful because I would look, I looked at every single piece of the evidence that you presented in the book and went, dude, I would take this case in a hot second. Yeah. I would have zero yeah. problems trying that case. It, it'd be, it'd be a slam dunk depending on the right well, person. Circumstantially, Jeff had put himself right in the center of a dartboard, right? And yeah, he like, did. That's what kills me is they act like to, for them to have the balls to bring this that many years later when he's a professional with a wife and a son and like all of this, like they knew that they had enough because they felt that they had had enough the whole time. It just yeah. wasn't brought earlier. And they, uh, yeah. From it's scary though, I was reading it from an investigator perspective going, 
oh my gosh, you have everything that you need. Just move on this. Why did this take so long? I mean, I mm-hmm. truly, we have survivors all the time um, who we interview who it's terrifying to know that an individual who was that unhinged and unsafe was in society for that long. Mm-hmm. Right. A, a man that is crazy enough. Um, and I don't mean crazy, like mentally, I mean, crazy criminally mm-hmm. to kill right. his, his own father. And then, you know, his stepmother and, and young children is the person right. who would, is, is capable of anything. Absolutely yeah. anything, especially well, the, the way that it went, you know, that it went down. Like that's not, that's just, that takes a whole extra level of maliciousness of to malice. do it right. in the way that he did it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing is it's like, if, sometimes you'll hear things like, well, if you believe that he didn't do it, like, oh, he's never done any other thing or he just had minor trouble before. Like after the murders, he had lied about having cancer and it was this huge like scam scheme where he yeah. lied about having cancer to get to his money, his trust money earlier. Mm-hmm. And it was to the point where they got him for like wire fraud and all of this stuff. So it's like right. someone who's so innocent would never do anything like this doesn't do that either. So it's like, right. and then there's other stuff. So it's like, yes. you just start to put the pieces together and you're yes. like, yeah, center of the dartboard for real, for a reason. Well, and truly, okay. He may have never went and point blank murdered somebody else again. Right. Okay. But he still had malicious behaviors that he continued to do. And I suspect that there's probably even a whole shit ton of things that we don't know that he, right. that he did I think as there's well. at least one other thing floating out there, according to some of the detectives. Yeah, yeah. Just something that hasn't been charged because he's currently incarcerated? It, yeah, it was more of like a civil thing, but mm-hmm. it was something equally as bad where you're basically still a total liar and okay. you're trying to get out of trouble mm-hmm. kind of thing, and someone did die. Yep. So. Oh, okay. Before yeah. he was charged, um, Jesse, had you continued to have any type of a relationship with Jeff or with Jackie? Okay, so Jackie, I did until I was... Well, I saw her for a movie. We saw Ghostbusters. She came up to uh, Eaton Rapids, where I was living with my grandfather, um, and then I, we just talked on the phone after that, but once this case came up and he was going on trial, um, we chatted and she's like, he didn't do it. And I was like, well, he did. Right. And we, we argued and I was like, you know what? Okay. Let's just agree to disagree, you know, mm-hmm. because I think he did it. You think he didn't, and we're it's it, it's gonna go nowhere. Um, so we actually quit talking after that. I have heard of I I have heard from her a few times, but it's been like around trial time. It's been around like when the book came out, so it's been like key point times mm-hmm. that she's contacted me, but. Do you know Not what really purpose? Do you know why she reached out during those times? Did you ever have a conversation or is it just more a matter of, <laughs> hey, you're in the limelight again, so I'm going to call? Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much what it was. Mm. So, um, but Jeff, I saw him one time in between. And actually, this is kind of scary. Um, I was 15. I was staying at my foster mom's house and... 
she actually had her own stuff going on. So I needed somewhere to go. He called. I don't know how he knew where I was, but he found me. Um, called and asked if I wanted to come to Florida to see him and Kim. And I was like, well, shit, I have nowhere to go. So, yeah. Sure. I mean, I was scared, but because yeah. I remembered how he treated me. And right. I was like, okay, he's, he's older, mm-hmm. maybe. And I didn't realize all this other stuff, mind you. Of course. Yeah. Keep that in mind. You still think at this time that Bob is the one that took your family. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. So he flies me down there. We get to his house. I'm starting to unpack. And he's like, hey, you know, who who do you think um, killed everybody? And I was like, your dad? He's like, oh, okay. Ugh. Oh, damn. Oh, my God. To so, think of what if you had said, well, actually, I'm not sure who. or Because I'm sure yeah. you, even if you didn't suspect him at that time, I'm sure you probably wouldn't have said that possibly to his yeah. face. But, I mean, if you hadn't mm-hmm. given that right answer that he was looking for, what yeah. the hell was his purpose of having you there? <laughs> like, yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah. It's like, it's very terrifying. Like we went out on jet skis on the ocean and he still oh. was up to his same old fucking tricks. Like he knocked me off of it. And I'm okay. I love horror movies and I love like Jaws, mm-hmm. but I am scared of being in the ocean. Oh like, yeah. Not on something. So wow. when he knocked me off, I was freaked out and he's laughing and I'm like, you fucking asshole. Yeah, he but likes just, being cruel to you. He, he didn't outgrow it. No. And this is the no, maliciousness he, that I'm talking about. Like he is a malicious person at the end of, of it all at the, you know yes. what I mean? <laughs> like at yes, the soul yeah. level. So I don't want to hear the arguments of, Oh, he lived all those years without murdering somebody else, but that doesn't mean he didn't harm other people. Right. Like, right. Like he's right. Oh, Oh, that aggravates me. Oh. Yeah. Like oh. who and does that? Also <laughs> you're like guardian angel guides, whatever you want to call them. Jesus girl working overtime. On you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. I agree. They are definitely <laughs> working overtime. Oh my God. Oh gosh. Yeah, she's got like a whole spiritual army up there. So. Yes. That's yes, for I sure. Do. That's for sure. So Jamie, I can feel them. He, um, he finally gets charged then. And at what, how long is the trial set out from when he's originally charged? Um, so he's arrested in August, looks like August 10th. Um, and so that's 2002 and he doesn't go to trial until four years later. So Jesse is 27, I believe at that time. Is he so incarcerated? years after the murders. Mm. He was, I believe in jail, um, up until that time. Okay. Some so, people post bond. I just wondered if they, if they had allowed yeah. him to be released. So he was incarcerated during that and four years. There were a, yeah, there were a lot of legal battles about like, you know, speedy trial, time clock issues, and a bunch of other things, and them arguing over their counseling records, and just like it was definitely a very paper heavy fighting kind of. Well, case. and not to give things away, but let's just be clear: he was he was initially he was convicted by a, by the trial court. A jury found him guilty of multiple counts of first degree murder. Correct. Correct. And then there were appeals. And the appeals were based off of things like you just mentioned, like that he didn't have a speedy trial, that there was four years that had gone by and such. Mm -hmm. And then my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that ultimately, so it was remanded at some point in time. There was concern that the case was going to have to be retried. Like, I think I recall reading in the book that there was panic, right? Oh my God, we're going to have to do this again. Yeah. So at the basic court of appeals level, yes. And then at the Indiana Supreme Court level. 
you off. Correct. So. And it, my understanding was it was his own counsel that was creating most of the delays. Correct. Because okay. we're fighting about counseling records and keeping them out. So okay. he's arguing like it's not going fast enough, but also they're the ones delaying it. So. All right. Were those counseling records ever allowed in? They weren't, right? They weren't. There was an in-camera review by the judge um, as to what they were. I'd and like I don't think it was found they that they were. were particularly helpful, but they were never in. Okay. I just... I just wonder what they what was what was in that nugget. Of course, it would also depend on how effective the actual counselor was at getting information out too. So, I did just, you have to? You had to testify at the trial itself, correct? Yes, yes, I did. Do you remember it at all? Uh yes, I do. Okay, and what? I mean, I know this is a shitty question, but what was that? I mean, what was that like for you? I have victims on the stand all the time, so I get a I have a general idea, but I just want your impression. Yeah, um, I actually was very nervous because I hadn't seen him, well, since I was 15. So, sure. um, yeah, I was, it, you're now it was very nerve-wracking. You know, you're 27, right? I mean, so think yep. about that, just 15 to 27. Yeah, Ugh. a lot yeah. of years. Yeah. Um, I have children at this time. Right. Um, he has a child. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so I testified um, just to see him. I was, like, terrified. Um, and angry and just, you know, it's almost surreal, you know, mm-hmm. like, am I really here doing this? But yeah, so I testified um, when I gave my victim impact statement. That motherfucker never looked at me once. That doesn't surprise me I, at all. Just so our listeners know, let me interrupt really quick. The victim's impact statement would have been after at sentencing, you giving your statement about to the judge about him and about yeah. the situation, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and I literally stared at him and he didn't look at me one time, not one time. Cowards. And never so did. that, and yeah, and that's, that's my thing. If you're innocent, you're going to look at me Yep. and be like, I didn't do it. Right. You know? Absolutely. That's what I would do. Yep. Like you've got this so wrong. Yeah. Cause there would be, that's the thing, you know, what they say about our eyes being the windows of our souls, our eyes Mm -hmm. tell everything they really do. Especially if you're effective at reading people and, and, um, you know, those nonverbal communications. And so we have this instinct. It's something, one of the first things that I learned when I was in training to become an investigator is to look at eyes and watch the movement of eyes. Watch for the willingness to make direct eye contact or not. And so that speaks volumes just to me, you know, with with things that I know. Because he knew the truth would, if he did have the courage to look at you, he knew his eyes were telling the story anyway. You would have absolutely known. But by him not doing it, He's telling on himself too. Were you there yeah. when the judge read the sentence? Um, no, I, I was actually at a restaurant a couple blocks away. Okay. So you had given your statement and then you went off. Yes. Yep. He did receive life without the possibility of parole. Again, this is prior to the appeals, but originally he received yep. life without. Okay. And how, how can yeah. I ask how you it felt was about that? And- 160 years it was mm-hmm. 40 per life yes. yeah that's right 40 per life can running consecutively mm-hmm. yep beautiful yep and that was ultimately upheld by the supreme court correct jamie they didn't make yep. them change the sentence at all 
it was. Um, and just, I mean, for the people listening, it's like, imagine that he finally goes to trial. You're 27. Yep. It's finally supposedly resolved. You're happy he's going to be where he's supposed to be. And then at the first appellate level, when they thought, oh, he might be able to get out, how terrifying mm-hmm. that was for mm-hmm. her. And I was 28 when that happened. Right. Yeah. I'm glad that you pointed that out because um, I think that that's a part that a lot of times gets lost in stories like this in terms of the impact. We do try to highlight it a lot um, on our podcast, but the impact that both um, parole hearings and appeals have on the surviving family. Um, because it's it's just so scary to think of like that person being free again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's the most annoying thing when you're like left with all of this to deal with. And then it's like, people are trying to crawl out on technicalities and things. It's just, it's not a very nice feeling. And so it's something that to this day, she still continues to deal with because he has bullshit pending currently again for post-conviction relief, which should be ruled on literally any day. So it's like, it's it's always looming always for Mm -hmm. the rest of his life. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's in the Indiana Department of Corrections, correct? Yes. Okay. He's actually in Michigan. Is he? Is oh, he is now? He? Yeah. He's in Michigan, lower Michigan. Okay. Did okay. they transfer I know they move him down here when there's hearings. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. probably in Jackson. Yeah. I, I do believe so. Yeah. You say lower Michigan, and I know of two prisons in lower yep. Michigan, and Jackson's the most secure. There's cold water, which is literally 15 minutes from us, but that's not as secure of a facility. Yeah. So. No, no. Yeah. He's probably in Jackson, but yeah, I know he's in Michigan. So, mm-hmm. okay. Um, because I personally know one of the detectives and he actually brought him there. So, okay. Yeah. So let me ask you, Jesse, um, you became a mom then. Yeah. Having gone through the things that you went through, how did that affect your child rearing? How did that affect your relationships with your own kids? That's a great question. Yeah, actually, um, I made sure my children were very independent. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and that it makes sense. It, it, it I mean, it's like a bittersweet thing because my kids are so, my daughter is very independent. Like, it, it, it's, it's just like weird. She because, applied to college without you ever even knowing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. She, right. Yeah. Like, I, I was like, what? And she's like, mom, I got this. And I'm like, oh my God, but I'm your mom. I'm supposed to help. Right. But right. I made it to where if I ever got killed or was in an accident, like, my kids were going to survive. They would never, ever, ever go through what I went through. Mm-hmm. Ever. That makes total sense because you were just so uprooted and had to depend yes. on other people. And, and bounced around. Yes. And, yes. You know, I didn't want that for my children. Mm-hmm. I made sure that they could depend on themselves. And, you know, and was that hard on them? It could have been. But, you know, I just wanted to make sure that they could live their own lives without somebody right but you were you still know? you know still there to support them along oh, God, the way yeah. while while you know yeah. teaching them their independence Megan and I very yeah. much have a same parenting style um our kids are and it is I love how you said it's bittersweet because there's those moments of like damn I did too good of a job and it's like you don't even need me yeah. and the fact of the matter is they're just so secure that they know they when I you. do need you you'll be there so I'm yeah. going to come to you when I need you. Um, well, and just yeah. an observation, just from reading the, and you know this now, Jesse, but you all, you needed your, you needed your family. They were taken from you. You needed them the whole time. You were going through everything independently. You've just been able to yeah. make your family stronger because of it. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. I mean, they did have to grow up with my OCD and, you know, all sure, the craziness. Sure. Like, you know, mm-hmm. they, they saw all the stuff that I went through. So, I, you know, I wish that they didn't have to see that because I didn't have therapy at that time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I finally did tell them what happened, they kind of understood why I was the way I was, sure. you know? Yeah, probably clicked so, into place for them at that point in time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their mom just wasn't crazy. <laughs> there was a reason for it, you know? Right. right. All moms are a little crazy anyway. Yep. This was a diagnosis, so it wasn't your fault. <laughs> yeah, and that's it's another interesting thing, too, because I think even at the time we were writing Jesse's book, it's like she had still not really told her kids, like her son especially. And okay. she was like, it's the anniversary. The shows are going to air again. I really need to tell him this year because he yep. might see it on a show. It became like yep. a thing where she has to like worry about him seeing it on a show instead of from her. Oh God. Yeah. Good know. point. Uh huh. Yeah. Like I told my daughter first, but she was more mature and you know, <laughs> could kind of accept it a little better, sure. but, but there's, yeah. there's some beauty in having this beautifully written book that when somebody asks, why are you the way that you are, Jesse, you go here, read this. Read all about it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or I have people read it and then come up to me and like, can I hug you? I'm like, let me guess. You either saw the show or read the book. <laughs> right. <laughs> so tell me about, there was a, sh- tell me about the show. Okay, well, there's a couple of them out there. So, are there um, oh, okay. ones that you yeah, would recommend that you think are accurate enough for listeners to actually spend their time on fr- from your perspective? Okay, so Evil Lives Here is one of them. That's okay. a really good one. Um, 48 Hours Live to Tell. That's a good one. Um, we did do Dr. Oz. That was pretty good. That was actually our first one. Was he a nice man? He actually was. He, he really seems, was. He seems kind. He has kind eyes. He does have kind eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he actually talked to me afterwards and was like, I'm really sorry, you know, and actually talked to me. So that was oh, pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Yep. But yeah, Evil Lives Here, 48 Hours Live to Tell. Those are um, two of the really good ones. And then before, as we're kind of sum- summing up then, let me start with you, Jamie. Um, if there was anything else that we haven't covered today, and there's so much more in the book. I mean, there's so much things mm. involving friendships and rekindling things. Is there anything else that you would want listeners to know about Jessie? She is just the most vibrant, vivacious, like amazing person. And it's like she said, you would never know that she had been through anything if you just met her working with her or around her today. Um, And I think that's true for a lot of people because it's a lot easier for them to try to move forward in positivity and in a way that they can have a happy life. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second thing we kind of touched on earlier, but just that if someone in your family or a friend or someone you know has been through something just terrible or very dramatic or tragic, um, that person knows it happened. And maybe they want to talk about it or maybe they don't, but it's okay to just throw the lifeline out there and be like, hey, if you ever want to, I'm here. That's all you have to say. Um, And I had people reach out to us after the book came out and they would be like, you know, I always run into this lady at the grocery store and her young son just died like a year before, but I wasn't sure if I should say anything or not. And it's like the book seems to have really helped some people to kind of sort that piece out. And I'm really freaking proud of that, that. It actually is putting like light into the world and like helping people through what she's been through. And I think that this is, I don't want to say the why it happened because it never should have, but this is the light in what she has chosen to do with what she was given. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, love, love that advice um, about just throwing that lifeline out there and, and even just being allowing them to share if they want to just talk about their memories, you know, yeah. what they remember of their loved ones. Um, a lot of times that helps keep that energy of them and spirit of them with you and alive. Um, and I guess, Jesse, my, uh, my last question to you would be, assume out here somewhere, and we know it's true, there's been a little okay. girl who's been through a situation similar to you. What would you yeah. tell, what would you tell the people who are taking care of her after? Um, I would tell them to let her express herself, mm-hmm. um, hug her often that I can't express, I, I can't express that enough. Hug mm-hmm. her, love her. Um, physical connection. I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. I did not get that. And that's what I craved the most hugging. Um, let her talk about it. Mm-hmm. don't tell her to be quiet don't tell her to move on because guess what she can't move on until she talks about it mm-hmm. yep you know yep do you think that people should have been more honest with you about what happened at an age appropriate yes. level yeah yeah maybe not go into detail but at least say hey this is what happened you know mm-hmm. like you said age appropriate but at least explain a little bit further what happened you know yes yeah most definitely well, and because yeah, then you them... wouldn't have been left to peace because no matter what, what people need to understand, kids are going to try to make logical sense of things and piece things together, whether yeah. you like it or not. So you might as well exactly. be as honest with them as you can that is appropriate so that they're not left yeah. doing that. Yes, because then they can get it wrong. And mm-hmm. then they're growing up thinking this one thing and then boom. Oh, guess what? Completely yep. different scenario. You Absolutely. know? Absolutely. Well, and that's not healthy. And to, correct, because I'd like to—I'd actually like to ask you a question. You know, yeah. thinking all of these years that your mom's spouse had committed such an act of violence against her and your um, siblings, did that did that affect how you interacted with partners of your own? Um, not really. I craved love so bad that. Okay. Yeah. I just, you know, well, okay. So I craved love so bad that I was in relationships, but when they were abusive, I did cut ties. Mm -hmm. Okay. I did not deal with that shit Mm -hmm. because of all of that. Sure. Um, so that was a good thing, but yeah, I just, and that's why I'm in like long term relationships. Like my husband and I, we have been through some shit. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you. Sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, and people call me stupid. You're stupid. And I said, you know what? I love him and I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm going to go through this. And he, I'm not perfect by any means. I did stuff too, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but for me, if you love someone, you're going to endure the good and the bad, mm-hmm. Definitely. you know? So I think because of everything that I went through, I have more patience. I have more um, love to give, mm-hmm. you know, if that makes sense. It does. It does. Just because I didn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it also didn't surprise me at all that you went into a career working with children um, because yeah. your childhood was stolen from you. And so you got to, you know, connect with them and see that um, the things that, you know, you didn't necessarily get to to have and experience through them. And, yeah. and they're just so much... 
I love their honesty. When I go and do my <laughs> inspections, I love listening to children's blatant honesty and how they just cut through right the, the bullshit, right? Like it's just yeah. so lovely. The only people more honest children. are children and old people. Yes. Right. Yes. 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. The rest well, of us have that to was my, That was my favorite part about working in childcare. Um, and actually, it's funny because a lot of the teachers, and I'm not talking bad about them in any means, mm-hmm. you know, but I, the, the troubled children, I was drawn to. Sure. Yeah. And actually, I got through to them. Yeah. I mean, I have had tears thrown at me. I have had, uh, you name it, I, mm-hmm. I, I actually broke my foot a few times, and I actually just got out of my boot, and a little girl was so pissed at me and she kicked me and broke it again oh god and you know what I did I hugged her mm-hmm. yeah. and I was like I love you I know you're angry but this is we can't do this right you know you, you we have to do something that. else yeah yes and the parents were mortified they're like oh my god I don't know yeah as long as she learns from this I'm good right I'm not mad at her mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and that's the thing I have the patience to deal with that because I was that little girl Absolutely. That resonates with me too, Jesse, just because I loved working with my juvenile delinquents because every single one of them, maybe two as an exception that were actually criminals as as juveniles, they had a reason to be acting the way that they were. Mm -hmm. Not not one of them had like, they were through the delinquency system because of some type of um, childhood trauma or inappropriateness that they'd experienced and then acted out on. And some of them were terrible, awful little shit sitting in front of you, just swearing and constantly running away. And any of those sound familiar? Right. But those are the kids that I like to deal with because they were super freaking honest about it. Yeah. They, yep. they had a reason for what they were doing. Jesse, yeah. I wish we had more childcare providers like you. Cause, because now in my job, um, my new role, I get to read all and approve all of the investigations. And I got to tell you, I get really, really concerned when I'm reading an investigation and the pri- the childcare provider is blaming the child for the child's uh. behavior, right? And yeah. well, I did this because this child always acts out X, Y, and Z, or this child's a runner. So this is why I did that. I always kick those back and say, we are sorry, we're violating them for inappropriate discipline or inappropriate supervision, whatever it may be, because we know there's a reason why this we're talking young kids, y'all like child care usually ends. Yes, Yes, exactly. A majority of the age group of children in child care are infants Mm -hmm. to about six, seven. Okay. Yeah. And so there are a couple that go all the way till 10 or 12, but that's pretty rare. And so, uh, yeah, like, no, 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 we are not blaming this five-year-old. Okay. So so I just want you to know that I appreciated that perspective of you saying, I understood there was a reason they were doing that. And it's, it is a shame to me that we've lost you in the state of Michigan as a child care provider. Right. Because, oh, I know. Oh. I know. I yeah, love it. You do what's best for you. Ladies, I, I am so excited that you were able to join us to, to tell us a little bit about your story and such. And I will also tell you that usually at this point in an interview, you know, we say our goodbyes and then Charnel and I do this lovely little brain bath for our listeners to cleanse their palates from all the trauma that we've put them through. But because you seem like you're one of us, do you want to stick around so I can bathe you with a funny story? Yeah, sure. All right. So a listener 
uh, and Patreon <clears throat> messages. Oh, the stories I could tell you. Okay. <laughs> so my all-time favorite story as an ER trauma nurse goes like this. Oh, God. 1036. <laughs> <laughs> I know. 1036 p.m. during college hazing week around 19, oh, around 1984. Oh, God. This just keeps getting better and better, Megan. <laughs> I know. I have no idea where we're going. <laughs> oh, it's going to be good. A 19-year-old clearly intoxicated male enters the ER and is escorted back to a trauma room. I enter said room to find him standing, but barely, by the gurney, and he's wearing a long trench coat, so my interest is piqued. But concerned for <laughs> well... mine. <laughs> right, right? But... <laughs> Oh, concerned for his well-being as his pre-admit diagnosis says severe pain in lower abdomen, I'm he must be sure is leading to his imminent death. So I ask him 20 question quick trauma assessment skills. And I say, first, young man, let's get you on this gurney so I can start assessing you properly. I'm instant me, instantly mad at the triage team member that brought him to a room for not properly securing his safety and getting him on the gurney. Like she doesn't understand why he's standing there. Out of the corner of my eye, I see said teammates who I'm mad at peeking around the trauma room curtains like fucking Cheshire cats. <laughs> what the hell I'm thinking? So I say, sir, we need to remove your coat and get you laid down. Have you been drinking tonight, young man? I hated college hazing week, she said, in parentheses, as deaths did occur. So she oh, was sure. worried. Sure. Yeah. Yes, I've been drinking, he says. But he's still not taking his coat off. Oh, God. Getting a little impatient, I state, get on the cot, please. And he says he can't. And I say, get on the cot. And he says, I can't. And at that moment, he whips open his trench coat. Don't call my mom, he pleads. And there in all its glory is a vacuum cleaner attachment attached to his manlyhood at full salute. The attachment is firmly attached. He's obviously been using it um, on, 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 on <laughs> uh, while, while he was at full salute. Now, as nurses, she states, we try not to laugh at patients. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> we did swear a duty to protect their rights, and it's been a long week already, and I decided I'd, uh, I had already had a hazing patient in the ICU with alcohol poisoning oh. and one with body traumas oh, from a fall from a balcony, too. So she's had enough. Oh, God. She said, oh, unfortunately, my, my mouth responded before my brain responded as I simply stated to my young man, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> Well, with some help from my teammates, the snickering fucker she refers to them as, we managed to get him on the gurney and I get his assessment done. But the attachment is stuck and it is not budging. Oh, no. This is like a two dogs breeding situation. And then she says, yes. <laughs> Then she says, to come down. Yeah, right. So she says a purple helmet was an understatement for what this thing looks like. Oh, no. So labs are drawn, including, of course, a blood alcohol level, and the ER doc was paged. Back then, admitting doctors all rotated ER calls, she mm -hmm. says. As the doctor, who happened to be a surgeon on call, arrived, chart in hand, I briefed him. 
The doctor and I discussed alternatives because, after all, an engorged penis for over three to four hours can be a serious problem. Our young man's alcohol level was not supporting his um, ability to be IV sedated, so he was smashed. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. I turned to the doctor and said, with a shitty grin on my face, let me handle this one. Having worked together for years, he agreed. We approached the patient as I took his hand and compassionately looked him in the eyes and said, I'm sorry, but because of the amount of alcohol in your system, the only treatment is to surgically cut it off. The tube he the tube he asked and she said, No, sir, your penis. Our patient promptly vomited and fainted, and a minute later I picked the tube off of his flaccid, all bait bruised penis. Uh, lesson learned oh patient was not compromised in any way and I was very sad I was a very satisfied nurse exiting the room the doctor leaves shaking his head and says remind me never to piss you off <laughs> just another day in the life of a critical care trauma nurse also yes I am Megan's mother and now you know where she gets it from so that's my mom's story oh. yep oh mama <laughs> We hope that we have bathed you, ladies, so that you have some laughter now as you as you leave oh, us today. Oh, that was great. Oh, that Lord. was great. Yeah, she did say your mom did comment on one of our things once that she had the stories she could tell. Oh yeah. yeah now I love that she shared one with us. Mm-hmm. I thought she was gonna say, "I'm gonna call your mom because oh. that will take away your boner in no time." No time. Yeah, it could. <laughs> right. It could. Right. We'll remember that oh, for the future. Right. I have four That's boys. Okay. I'll remember that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you guys so, so much for taking two hours out of your day today to spend with us. It was truly just wonderful connecting again with you, Jamie, and and meeting you, Jesse. Meeting you, Jesse. And please keep in touch and just thank you so much. No, thank you. It was it was a great time and you ladies are amazing, seriously. <laughs> well, we yeah, like to it's think been so. Fantastic. We've enjoyed it and I really enjoyed ending on the purple helmet there. That was great. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Jamie, uh, I can't wait till you find your next survivor because I want to read your next book before you've even written it, just so you know. Right, right. And then we'll just keep, I appreciate keep that. I'll try on. not to be personally terrified hearing that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, God. Well, thanks so much. Uh, Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday, ladies. Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. 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 All right. Thank you all so much for hanging in with us and hope you enjoyed that episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. They gave beautiful details, but it is not a replacement for that Mm, book. mm -hmm. I can't advocate for it enough. It's the Christmas season. If you have people that like this type of Mm -hmm. um, documentary and survival. Yes. I mean, not all not all true crime ends happy. And Mm -hmm. this is a sad, sad story, but it is a survivor story. I do want to also give a warning that the uh, Jamie does include the details of how the bodies were found and how they were murdered. And it is gruesome yes, and um, in very detailed. And it was not something that I felt comfortable bringing up um, with Jesse on the phone. Correct. So if you, you know, definitely want those details there in the book. Um, and so, yeah, just would make a, I love that you pointed out, would make a wonderful gift for other true crime lovers as well. Yeah. So it's called I Am Jessica by Jamie Collins. Go and get it. And also, 
there are certain Amazons, like Amazons kind of go by like your hub of what's close to you. So some people have said that it's been sold out on Amazon. Google it because there's a lot of different other ways. Walmart, Target, all of the uh, Barnes, Barnes and, and Nobles. Nobles. Yes. For those of you that like book porn. Mm. Yes. And, and, and I'm sorry, just so if you want to know what book porn is, it's when you walk in the Barnes and Nobles mm-hmm. and you take a deep breath and you go, ah. Oh. <laughs> And you get excited. Yes. Yes. That's book porn. That's book porn right there. So um, there are copies available yes. everywhere. So pick that up. And uh, yeah, thank you so much again for listening. And we hope that you guys keep it curious. And keep listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.